1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Nick Cage Fight Podcast, where we review, dissect, and break down Nicolas Cage movies because we're just some kids and life is a nightmare. I'm one of your hosts, Josh, and I'm here with my co-host and good friend, Rich. How are you, Rich?
2: Uh, I mean, I've been better after watching this movie a bunch of times.
1: Yeah, me too. So... If you follow us on Twitter, which you should, you might have noticed that we specifically posted about recording this episode and how we're going to explain with this episode why the word fight is in the title of this podcast, and it's because I swear to find and fight the director and writers of this movie. The movie being Next, a 2007 film rated PG-13 that is an hour and 36 minutes too long. So So it's an
2: hour and thirty five, like in real time.
1: It's it's still it's it's too fucking long. Let's just. All right, let's get housekeeping out of the way, because that's that's going to be the most respectful part of this episode, because I don't hold it against except for the part where I go over the directors and the writers, because fuck everybody who put this story together. But the actors did nothing wrong so far as I'm aware.
2: I mean, I have issues with at least one actor in this movie.
1: Hey, look, everything is fair game at this point. I'm not standing between our rage and any of these people at this point. Everyone involved should probably feel a bit bad. But let's start at the top. For director, we have Lee Tamahori. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that appropriately, but they didn't give me any reason to at this point. However, their book of work Really didn't prepare me for this film. They did Along Came a Spider, which wasn't bad. Triple uh, X State of the Union, which I think was the sequel Triple X movie. The that weird... was
2: the sequel that I believe did not have Vin Diesel in it. I think this was the Ice Cube one, if I'm no. not mistaken.
1: I think Vin Diesel was in the first one and the second one. I If there's a third one with Ice Cube, that I'm, I'm just not up on my Triple X lore.
2: Yeah, no, I'm looking at it here that's st- starring Ice Cube and Willem <laughs> Dafoe.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, it would have been funny if in the 8mm movie when they were searching all those uh back alley porn hubs, they had a box labeled XXX, State of the Union.
2: Ah, that would have really tied everything together.
1: <laughs> it would have it
2: been some great foresight for a movie made seven years later.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also person... did
2: Die Another Day, by the way. So he did direct a Bond movie somehow.
1: A Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. I'm not sure that counts. I mean, GoldenEye fucked, but... The game did. I just So, so I was raised in an old school household. The only uh, James Bond that we recognized was Sean Connery. Interesting. Yep. I, Interesting. I don't to tell you, but that bit of intolerance is really ingrained from a very young age in me. They also directed one episode of The Sopranos. Just got to throw that out there. We're big fans of the Sopranos on the pod. So every time it comes up, we got to talk about it. Oh, my God. I need to know which episode now. It's Toodle Fucking Ooh. And I don't recall the events of that episode. It's a solid name. It is a good name. It's a good name. So the writers, we have three writers. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we'll just run through them. We got Gary Goldman who wrote Big Trouble in Little China, Total Recall, the original, and then the next one. I I don't remember if that was supposed to be a reboot or a sequel, but they also were the executive producer of this movie and Minority Report. Okay. I mean, similar similar things. So here's the weirdest thing. This is, and I didn't dig into it, And I hope our listeners will understand why, because I could barely get through the research required for this film. But this is supposedly a Philip K. Dick adaptation of some sort, which is why they have the whole, you know, minority report uh, person involved. But I don't know what work of Philip K. Dick this is tied to. I'm not familiar with it, despite being a bit of a fan. Uh, It's based on the golden man. The Golden Man. OK, I'll have to I'll have to look at how dirty they did Philip K. Dick on this one, because I'll read a Philip K. Dick book story, whatever you know form it takes. But the next writer on the list is uh, Jonathan Hensley, who wrote Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Saint Armageddon, the Thomas Jane Punisher movie and Kill the Irishman, which all of those movies are not bad. Yeah, I I enjoyed The Punisher. Now, and I
2: mean, I'm more of a deep impact person than an Armageddon person, but that's not to say that Armageddon was bad.
1: Yeah, when we did the Punisher reviews, I think I I put Thomas the Thomas Jane one at the top of my list of portrayals of the Punisher. It was a good movie; I enjoyed it. The third and final writer, which is this one, came out of nowhere for me, is a uh, Paul Burnbaum, who did the Halloween Town movies, another Disney-ish kid flick called In the Doghouse. The 21 Jump Street TV show, the original TV show that the movies that our listening audience is probably familiar with were a sort of parody of or spinoff of. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird addition to the writing cast that I've previously gone over. Yeah, but All of these people, it's they're all very different. Mm hmm. Different. And what? Well, and let's. Let me compose myself and get through the the remaining housekeeping that we have to do. So starting off with the casting, our main man, uh, the man of the hour, the titular character. The the man who needs no introduction. Exactly. Nicholas Cage. Hey, I said he
2: doesn't need an introduction.
1: That wasn't an introduction. It was a statement of fact regarding a person's name.
2: All right, fine. But you're on thin ice.
1: All right. Noted. He is playing Chris Johnson. And I'm just going to be petty and just point out that the Chris is spelled C-R-I-S. Too cool for an H.
2: Does that ever does that ever come up? Like, does it have to come up? Uh, No, whatever.
1: Nope. I'm just being petty and pointing it out. We have uh, Julianne Moore as uh, Callie Ferris. Now, Julianne Moore, you probably (laughs) recognize the name. You would definitely recognize the actress. Uh, She was in Jurassic Park Lost World. Boogie Nights. The Big Lebowski. Magnolia. Been in I, a lot of stuff. I know her from 30 Rock. That is something else that she was in. Then we have Jessica Biel as Liz Cooper. Now, Jessica Biel's been in a number of things. The thing that people our age might remember her from first was Seventh Heaven, which was just a awful TV show. Uh, in retrospect, I don't know, at the time, raised a little religious. It was the show you were allowed to watch if you if you grew up in a household like that.
2: Yeah. And she was also kind of one of the like blonde bombshells of the 2000s, like her and Jessica Alba. And like not blonde, but like Rosario Dawson is in there too. Of like, oh, we need a hot chick. Okay. We'll get one of these people.
1: Yeah. Classic uh, attractive actress poll for a specific period of time. <laughs>
2: Who shout out I thought was actually pretty good in this. And I am I am not a Jessica Biel person, but she was I thought that she was very above serviceable
1: in this. Her acting was fine in it. The writing for her character and every other fucking character in the film got awful. But just to run through some more of her credits, she was in the 2012 Total Recall. She was in the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, film. She was in the 2010 A Team. There you go. She was in Blade Trinity, the worst of the Blade movies.
2: She was also in the worst movie ever made. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry.
1: There you go. There's that. But she also was in the first season and maybe a second season and has some sort of executive producer credit on The Sinner, which is actually a relatively serviceable television show. If you like crime, mystery, thriller-ish things, it's it's pretty good for, for uh, non- premium cable channel show
2: right and then you have literally a bunch of people who all have like four lines
1: yeah that's those are the main ones just go over a couple of them real real quick just real quick so we have uh, Thomas Kretschmann who plays Mr. Smith I don't even remember who Mr. Smith is in this film it's that bad but he was he was in the Avengers movies as a Strucker uh, oh, he was he, also... was he was the main terrorist. Oh, yes, that's right. He was also he was in Wanted. He was the main guy that uh, James McAvoy has to go kill at some point. He was in Blade 2, second Blade <laughs> appearance in the cast list and uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse. And to have no ability to retain information from the Resident Evil movies. We have Tori Kittles as Kavanaugh. He was in Sons of Anarchy, True Detective Season 1, Olympus Has Fallen, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Or for so uh, those I, who are
2: my age, Malibu's Most Wanted, and Get Rich or Die Trying.
1: That is correct. I I remembered him primarily from the True Detective Season 1 and Sons of Anarchy. Cancel me if you want. I don't care. I thought he was great in both of those. Jose Zuniga whose name I'm hoping I'm pronouncing correctly, is Security Chief Roy Ball. He was in Con Air, one of the Holy Trinity. He was in Twilight, Constantine, Mission Impossible 3, and has a bit of a, a TV All-Star set of creds. He was in Dexter, The Shield, 24, most of the Law and Orders. So. I just assume everybody has been in Law and Order for at least one episode. Oh Yeah, almost almost everybody has um but uh this guy has hit most of them if not all of them (laughs) i didn't actually do an accounting of that uh jim beaver shows up again as an nsa director uh he was an adaptation you'll remember him as park ranger he was uh very much known for his role in supernatural crimson peak which we've mentioned before and ongoing role in the boys and yeah i'm gonna I'm so
2: sure. real quick, Nick Cage's wife at the time is the lady in the beginning of the movie whose necklace falls off.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah, that, that was
2: that was Alice Cage.
1: Interesting. I, I was not aware. And now we're going to skip right to the honorable mention, which is probably the biggest bright spot in this whole movie is that Peter Falk, is uh in this film as Irv and Peter Falk? If the name doesn't immediately ring a bell, is Columbo? What? Oh, mm-hmm.
2: oh, yep. And,
1: Just uh, one more
2: thing. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I guess only people will recognize that if you were like born in the sixties. That was the Columbo thing, as he would say. But one more thing, and then be a cop.
1: Yeah, but I'm. I don't. I don't know if a cab includes includes Columbo. I'm not sure. I don't think we've done a dive on that as a society just yet but if you're not familiar with colombo you probably should be familiar with the princess bride he's the grandfather reading the book if you haven't watched princess bride in your childhood first of all i'm sorry and second of all get on that you'll thank me it still plays when you're 35 yeah it does it's a great film and now it's as much as i've tried to delay it it is time to start reviewing the plot of this film So, before you
2: even start reviewing, Uh I have an issue with the first second of this movie. Good. (laughs) Because it looks like they started filming this like three seconds too early. Because the first actual scene is Nick Cage sitting in a diner with a martini or something in a martini glass. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just set there, like a set piece, and he's sitting there, and then... He picks it up, takes a drink, and puts it back down. And it looks, the pickup looks very unnatural. It looks as though he is setting it because they told him that, okay, the scene is going to start with you mid sip and then putting it down. If you re watch it, the pickup and everything looks incredibly unnatural. And I couldn't unsee it. And it's a really small thing that I just was just like, wow, they. I think that they filmed three seconds of this accidentally.
1: You're you're probably right. I was too mad to notice that. And I'm just, I, I have to read uh, the statement at the beginning, putting it in the notes explicitly. I am running down this plot under duress. If I was not contractually obligated, I would not do it. This is not okay for any medium, whether it be film or podcast. And I personally apologize to the listeners for what they're about to be subjected to. So, the opening scene that you mentioned he's at a fucking diner and uh, he's drinking a martini now we live in a place that is relatively well renowned well renowned for its diners and its adherence to diner culture first of all not most diners have a liquor license second of all who is drinking a fucking martini at a diner who so
2: I've actually realized in my travels that New Jersey is one of the only places a diner does not have a liquor license. Like when I lived in New York, every single diner you could get not good drinks, but they existed.
1: See, that sounds awesome to me. Follow up question. How many martinis did you see in these fucking diners?
2: Oh zero zero martinis. Zero Nobody fucking Nobody was martinis. drinking. Nobody was drinking. You go to a bar to drink.
1: So second of all, if you pay attention to the background and miss the goofy glass pickup, no, everybody else is drinking coffee and eating breakfast because yeah, it's a I think fucking it was eight, diner.
2: It was it was eight oh nine a.m. I think it was the time. He only saw the clock mm. and it was eight oh nine. So he went to this diner twice a day. Yeah. For. Reasons that are never followed up on, and we will get into that. Yeah.
1: Well, I, yeah, I, I was gonna save the fact that he was there twice a day, 809 in the morning, 809 at night. I'm gonna pick that apart again in a minute.
2: Oh, there's a lot of things to pick apart.
1: Oh, yeah, but every single time, like both periods of time where he goes, he orders a martini and drinks it. So, single, single props to my man for getting just one of the booziest cocktails you can get at eight Oh nine in the morning, a hundred points deducted for doing so in a fucking diner. That's crazy person activity right there. That's that is not good. You get an orange juice. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get a screwdriver, get something like much more. If I see, if I walk into a diner, even if they have a liquor license and I see somebody drinking a martini at eight Oh nine, In the morning, I know they're going to shoot up their place of work at 930 when they're supposed to be at their desk. That's that's my opinion and take on that. That's fucking crazy. So (laughs) we cut from that (laughs) completely contextless opening to a Vegas magic show. And the movie establishes relatively quickly That the protagonist in this film is able to see into the future, but there's some rules. And those rules are he can see two minutes into the future and it has to be his future. And so.
2: Right. Or like directly affecting him or. There was like a Vega rule that was put in later where he said like it's not his future, but the future has to affect him.
0: Yeah. It had like
2: it's, it's
1: his, it's his. POV of the future. Whatever. So now, listener, if you're wondering what you do if you find yourself gifted with this supernatural ability, the movie wants you to know that the correct answer is to become a Vegas stage magician whose show is 90% regular stage magician shit and 10% seeing into the future. That's it.
2: Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do? He
1: fucking he pulls out like doves and does like just regular run of the mill, like not even Penn and Teller level shit. I'm talking about like, you know, a, the the comp show that you get as somebody who went to a casino one time and then uh, the for the, the finale of his act, he brings this lady up on stage and goes, wouldn't it be amazing if by the time I counted to five, your necklace falls off your neck and into your drink and the crowd reacts exactly the way you're supposed to, which is like, well, like, okay, magic that. Yeah. What does that have to do with that? He counts to five. The necklace falls into the drink. Nonsense. Utter not. We're off to a terrible start and it's only going to get worse. So the only other thing where I'm going to, I'm going to toss a little bit of props to this individual. He reveals that he pads his paycheck by doing a little bit of gambling with his future site. Which Which
2: makes total sense not playing blackjack. There are go play craps wait for... Once a month.
1: Play craps once a month, walk in as a high roller, be like, 10 grand on black. Boom. That's not craps, that's roulette. Oh, roulette. My bad.
2: (laughs) No, but if you can see the future, okay. You know what? As somebody who gambles a lot and knows the rules to all of these games and knows systems and stuff. Let's get to the scene because
1: Jesus Christ. Also, just just to, and I'm not rolling this back to defend myself for fucking up craps, but craps is a great option too. Just go and stand on the edge of the table. Just go stand on the edge of the table. Wait until literally you see like the next roll
2: is going to be a two. Like that shit pays thirty to one. Yeah. it pays thirty to one. Mask it with other bullshit bets. Who cares? As long as you bet, like bet a hundred bucks on a one. That's not like, I mean, on a two, that is not like unforeseen or like make a horn bet when it comes. Like, I, sorry, I'm getting you know, too, it's into fun. This now the this only, point.
1: the only cool part is he like walks by like a slot machine and like dips back is like, hits it. hits a three sevens. Jack was like, that's cool. That's awesome. That happens to dipshit idiots all the time. It is believable and great. Sure. But of
2: course, he he says, I never play against other people, only the house. Motherfucker, every game is against the house unless you're playing poker or Baccarat. Those are the only two games. Every other single goddamn game in a casino is against the house.
1: Yeah, it's absurd. And then, of course, his game of choice is the one game that people without superpowers can try and game the house at and the house is really interested in just blacklisting these people yeah this is this and again head of
2: security goes and says is he counting off the top of the deck nobody can count a five deck shoe what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) you can count a put a thousand decks of cards in front of me shuffle them and put them in a shoe and i will count it It is not hard. You can put a million cards in that bitch. It's countable.
1: Yeah, it's uh, honestly just absurd. But of course, because of the game that he's chosen, security is on to him. Oh, he's always been in not large amounts, but he's always exactly right. A hundred percent of the time. We got to do something about this.
2: He's playing a game where the best case scenario is Blackjack. Blackjack pays three to two. What are you doing playing a casino game that their best bet pays 3 to 2 you if you're always going to win the roulette wheel as Josh mentioned pays 35 to 1 craps there is 30 to 1 bets like Jesus Christ dude go in <clears throat> once go into any casino find the you know find the slot machines that have a 100 million dollar jackpot and wait Nobody is going to question if you hit a jackpot on a slot machine. Nobody. Because they're just set to hit at a certain time.
1: 100%. This, Nobody this... will question it. So. What do you mean you don't play jackpots? I, yeah, no, I'm I'm, it's. It, we're off to a bad start so let's get into the next part which is also infuriating but it, that this is the theme folks i
2: love gambling movies too and this just this, yeah it ruined it
1: this this is the fight part of this podcast we are going to fight the writers of this film it's gonna happen we're gonna make it like a, a patreon goal or something like that just fly us out and find these guys and just beat them up on the street so security has now clued in to nick cage which so he fucking looks up at the camera while they're talking about like going after him, which doesn't make any sense with his power at all. Okay. No. Like, I just want to point that that has fucking nothing to do with anything. And it gets referenced later in the movie, but regardless, all you need to know listener is that security is now after him. And so he is using his future site uh, to expertly dodge. These people just is slipping by, you know, slipping right in between security as both of them look, in the opposite directions like a fucking cartoon slumping a little bit by you know a slot machine it's relatively entertaining until he gets to the point where he's trying to cash out his chips which first of all just fucking leave leave and then come back and cash out your chips in like two hours casino security does not have the time to try and fucking track you down from there also Presumably, you work at this fucking casino. What are you doing? Also,
2: counting cards is not a crime. All he has to say to get out of that situation is, I'm sorry, I was counting. They still let you take your money. You get blacklisted, and then you go play a real game.
1: Or you could just say, I'm sorry, I thought this was America. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so... The whole plan gets unraveled when when he's at the cage trying to cash out. A man walks up and he looks into the future and sees that this man is about to commit one of the primary crimes that you will never get away with, which is robbing a casino cage and shooting two people. And Yeah, just, we've
2: all seen Ocean's Eleven. What like, the? It's
1: hard. So he sees this in the future and tackles the guy with the gun and then grabs the gun. He He didn't see... Any further didn't pause to, to, to take stock of what would happen when he picked up that gun, which is security arrives, sees him with a gun in his hand and is like, this is an armed man that we also think is a cheater intensifying the chase. So uh, just nothing matters. So now security is chasing him. <laughs> for... This film has turned Josh into a nihilist. It's awful. So they're, they're chasing him because of the gun and the cheating. And he uses his future sight to try and dodge him while some guys watching cameras trying to direct him, you know, security to where he's going. He cuts into a bathroom. He takes off his sport coat and his stupid ruffle shirt and throws them in the trash, steals an old man's hat and then just proceeds to walk out of the casino. Not the uh, only
2: thing he's going to steal.
1: No. And. He So he he walks out of the front doors of the casino right as a valet pulls up a car and gets out of it and leaves the front door open. He just gets in and drives off with it. And now, because I have been looking for any excuse to talk about something other than this movie, I am going to regale you all with a personal story, because this is maybe the most believable part of the movie, because I know that it happened in real life at one point. So to start this off, uh, I did take a look. I'm still going to change the names of the people involved and be vague about some details, because despite the fact that we are now outside the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution, uh, I certainly don't want this to be the reason that any sort of civil litigation comes down on people that I know and actually like. So several years ago, I had a pair of acquaintances and one was particular loose cannon that we will call lenny uh, for the sake of this story and lenny had a reputation for despite being a very slight individual being able to consume massive amounts of alcohol the only problem was this person went from zero to a hundred incredibly quickly
2: drake quickly
1: it's yeah it was it was fast and when he had when he hit that point he became one of the it is like a unstable nuclear material. Something was bound to happen. And so he went out for a, you know, a company celebration evening. And my other acquaintance went with him. And at some point in the evening, the responsible acquaintance lost track of Lenny and Lenny disappeared. My other acquaintance woke up the next morning in his apartment. And Lenny was there, passed out on the couch. Happy ending to a very simple story. Until Lenny got up and started putzing around in the kitchen. And my other acquaintance asked him, he said, Hey, how did you get home last night? Now, to rewind just a couple of minutes, when uh, Lenny got up and started putzing around, uh, my other acquaintance checked his phone. He had several missed calls and several voicemails. The calls and the voicemails were from Lenny. And so my acquaintance listened to them, and in them, Lenny is screaming, Where are you? I don't know where I am. I need to get home. Next voicemail. Pick up your phone. I don't know where I am. I think I stole a car. And so when confronted with this information, Lenny turns white as a ghost and goes, I think I fucking stole a car. And they go, let's pump the brakes. (laughs) hold on a minute. Let's do the classic thing. When you don't remember what happened last night, let's run through your pockets. So they go through the pockets. Normal stuff, wallet, some receipts, change, and the keys to a Chevy Malibu with one of those rental place keychain things on it. And they both look at each other and they're like, holy shit. You might have stolen a car. So they go to the blinds of the apartment. They look out like cops are going to have the place surrounded, but nobody's there. And no Chevy Malibu is parked on the street in front of their, their house. So they go outside and they walk up the street to a main thoroughfare through this city that will remain unnamed. They go up the block and it had recently snowed. And in a city when it snows, they plow, you get these big snow banks sort of basically all along the sidewalk. And sure enough, Not even a block up, like just a little bit past their street. There is a brand new, at the time, Chevy Malibu crashed into the snowbank, like parked sideways in the snowbank. And they look in in the driver's side window and Lenny and my acquaintance's hoodie that he lent Lenny the night before is on the driver's seat. Well, you gotta burn that. They dry the key. The car opens, they grab the hoodie and like they're in a badly written movie like next, they use it to wipe at the steering wheel and the side of the, the, the car. They shut the door and they go back and all of us collectively pray that Lenny isn't arrested and prosecuted for grand theft auto. And when they get back, they start piecing together the evening. Lenny got very, very drunk so drunk that nobody he went to uh, this particular place of business wanted to be around him anymore. So they left him kind of on his own where he proceeded to seek out more alcoholic beverages and got more drunk and got belligerent enough to the point that we we figured out what happened was Lenny had walked out to where the valet is pulling up cars. So if you've never valet parked your car valet is when they bring your vehicle up to the entrance They leave the keys in the ignition, the car running, and the front door open. And usually you hand them a ticket and a tip, and you get in.
0: Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and community safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.
1: And you drive away. But if you walk out at exactly the right time and nobody is paying attention, you can just get into the open door of a vehicle that is running and drive off with it. And that is what Lenny had done. Now, I just want to mention this part because it's very funny. Weeks pass snow melts this car is taking up a portion of a lane that is used like on the one of the most used streets of this city main thoroughfare just half into one of the two lanes until one day it was simply gone (laughs) and we didn't say a fucking word about this for seven years specifically to allow the statute of limitations to pass needless to say Lenny has never been back to this place of business because who wants to tempt fate twice our assumption is that is because it was a rental car it was lowjacked, it was eventually found and since the entire incident was insured nobody really bothered to try and find the person responsible for this If you're out there and you're listening Lenny I love you buddy So Nick Cage steals a car. Oh, yeah, he steals a car in a really believable way. But that's basically, you know,
2: how we know it's believable.
1: The the last moment before this whole story just goes to shit. So unfortunately, Chris doesn't pull this off as slick as Lenny did and is immediately chased by the cops. But like six cops, the response time in Vegas is fucking mint, apparently. But He uses his future site to dramatically jump a a set of train tracks right before the train passes and gets away because the cops, you know, are stuck while this train passes. Oh, man,
2: those famous Las Vegas trains.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, he brings a car to a location where apparently he offloads stolen cars because um, his buddy Irv explicitly makes mention that you can't keep stealing cars, man. But neither of them seem to be particularly adept at that because the car uh, uh, apparently is low jacked. So regardless, this whole scheme doesn't make sense anyway, because he gives the shop owner 20 grand and then goes to play pool with him. So that's cool. But now we cut to uh, Julianne Moore's character as an FBI agent who is talking about trying to use the stage magician's magical powers to help solve crimes. And we learn about two minutes in the future. Yeah, very, very specific. Crimes. haven't fucking thought this out even for a fucking second. And she's explaining to her boss who props for not immediately firing this person, not for suggesting that magical powers might help them solve crimes, but magical powers that only allow you to see two minutes into the fucking future would allow you to stop crimes. It's nonsense, people, uh, especially in light of the larger plot that's occurring, which is that a Russian nuke has gone missing. Julianne Moore is still convinced that a magician that can see two minutes into the future is going to help with the nuke situation because she's dumb and the writers of this movie hate you. So despite, you know, her her boss's trepidation, she continues to try and track this person down In going so far as to interviewing one of the security guys who was chasing Chris out of the casino. Who they are
2: just such an asshole to. He's like, yeah, are you? Roy Len and he's like it's pronounced Roylin. yeah okay whatever this isn't a pissing contest like they were just such pieces (laughs) of shit to this poor guy who is just trying to do his job
1: yeah well honestly one of the one of the the least offensive characters in the movie at least he is just a dude doing his fucking job trying to guard a casino uh one of the only competent professionals that we've seen thus far But we cut back to Chris having a conversation with Columbo about how he's seeing further into the future when it relates to this strange woman, which is Jessica Biel's character, Liz. And that's why he's been going to a diner twice a day at 8.09 in the morning and 8.09 in the evening to try and find her because he didn't see a calendar or anything like that. And also, this is where I'm going to pick it apart some more. I mentioned it earlier. You've been waiting patiently. Fucking did you not look out the windows? 809 at night when does the fucking sun set in las vegas
2: yeah so i mean unless it's summertime but also like you can directionally see where the sun is like we've been doing it for thousands of years since the beginning of humanity this is how we steered ships before anything else was where's the sun okay that's east that's west could you not tell if it was rising or setting even what the fuck?
1: Even in the su- 809? It is at least going to be setting. Right. Like grab a fucking uh, farmer's almanac, my dude. That's nuts. This whole thing is nuts. Makes no sense. Irv, at the very least, has the temerity to call him out on it and go, You didn't catch a fucking calendar. It's gonna be really embarrassing if she doesn't get hungry for the next 10 years and you know doesn't show up at this particular diner.
2: Yeah, it's it's a thing. It's fucking stupid. Like you can tell the way that it's lit. Like, I'm like, my dude, that's breakfast.
1: Still ordering fucking martinis. 809 in the morning. That's that I've just I gotta come back to it. If you see somebody doing that, that is an individual you should be afraid of. Their power <laughs> level is much higher than yours. And you cannot hang with this person.
2: Okay, also, my original thought was If he sees himself in the future and his future self is having a martini at 8.09 in the fucking morning, shouldn't you wait until maybe you're just like, hey, you know what? I was out all night and I could use a nightcap. because We've all done it. We've all been, you know, we are close to Atlantic City. We've all been gambling till 7 in the morning and gotten a drink on the way home at 7.45.
1: Sure, at Ducktown, the only twenty-four hour joints in the in the city. Well, yeah, but at
2: that point, yeah, well, yeah but like,
1: <laughs> no
2: madman is waking up in the morning and saying and
1: getting a fucking martini.
2: <laughs> getting a martini. It's, just,
1: it's, it's ridiculous, and uh, probably a consequence of him not being able to see more than two minutes in the future to see him, you know, getting arrested for a felony by noon if <laughs> you're <laughs> drinking a martini at eight oh nine. Fuck's sake. So, as we previously mentioned, the car that that Chris stole uh, is low-jacked. Terrible car thief (laughs) on top of everything. So, while he's playing pool, now this isn't immediately conveyed to the viewers, but Julianne Moore shows up. They tracked the stolen car. She confronts him and asks for his help with the problem that the FBI is having. And when he pushes back, the garage doors fly open. And it is very clear that the FBI is there to take him by force. So we, of course, re- rewind back to him still shooting pool and going, oh, I got, I got to get out of here. Get this used to gonna that. Go it's well. going to
2: happen a lot.
1: So... I just want to point out, because this is the only time I bothered to do this. This scene starts, the, the Julianne Moore scene starts at, at 17 minutes and 15 seconds, runs to 19 minutes and 52 seconds before cutting back to the beginning. So if you were paying attention to the two minute rule like I was, unless Jessica Biel's involved, which she's not in this scene. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Uh, Uh, You know what? My second watch
2: through, I meant to do that because I'm watching it. Then it cuts back. I'm like, huh, that seemed like a lot longer than two minutes.
1: Yeah, because it was. So I I stopped doing that at that point because I refuse to have less respect for myself than this movie has for me. So let's just assume that the movie doesn't give a fuck about the rules. And that's that's a pretty good basis to have as you continue through this film. Meanwhile, while this is going on, our security guy from the casino is trying to leave for the evening, uh, apparently. And there's a, a couple a lady and a man sort of sitting by his car. Very quickly, they start uh, questioning him about Chris, the stage magician. They shoot him in the leg and uh, ultimately slit his throat while trying to get information. Who are they? Who hired them? How do they know about Chris and his ability to see two minutes into the future? Fuck you is the answer to all of these questions. Yeah, that's that's about it. Back it to It doesn't diner. matter. No, it nothing doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I, I can't stress that enough. So we get back to uh Chris at the diner of course with his martini despite you know being pursued by the FBI you got to if if you're drinking martinis at 809 in the morning and you've been doing this for several weeks it's probably not healthy to just stop <laughs> just going to throw that out there
2: yeah you got to wean yourself off
1: yeah and it's I, again this is the, the the second time I get to see it from the beginning nobody else in the place has an alcoholic beverage. Everybody's got mugs of coffee and fucking omelets and shit, because of course they do. It is 8.09 in the morning.
2: It's breakfast time. Did he not see this? Did he not look around and say, now, unless you're somebody like me, who whenever I go to a diner, don't care what time it is, I'm getting two eggs over easy. But most people aren't like that. They will go to a diner and get meatloaf because meatloaf diner is objectively better than you.
1: So, also, you think one of the pre- prerequisite skills for a stage magician is reading a fucking room? No, no. It's drinking
2: martinis and seeing into the future. <laughs> those are the two things that you need to do. If you can't do those two things, Josh, I'm sorry. Your dream is dead. <laughs> Go hang out with Reject Chris Angel from fucking The Sorcerer's Apprentice.
0: Uh
1: Because
2: we already watched that movie, so you, listener, get that reference. (laughs) And if you don't, go listen to that episode. Now, turn this off, go listen to that one, then come back.
1: Yeah, pause. We'll wait.
2: Why haven't you paused yet?
1: Fucking do it. (laughs) So, of course, at this point, Liz, Jessica Biel, comes in and sits down. And Chris... In in one of the only useful, if uh, most certainly underhanded and questionable as far as uh, consent is concerned, uses for this two-minute ability proceeds to try out a number of approaches. Yeah, he's uh,
2: essentially doing like a pickup artist. What's the, what's the dude's name who's like really popular, but for all the wrong reasons right now? Do you know who I'm talking about?
1: I, I'm going to throw out a guess just because I keep tabs on the sort of internet content that makes your brain rot if you're talking about andrew tate i'm yes. assuming yeah. yes
2: like okay so this brings up a ton of questions to me like what does this say about consent what does it say about free will this man is over here just bending reality trying different things in his head what does it say about time How much time passes in real (laughs) life? Oh, my God. While he's going through this. While he's going through this, how much time passes in real life? Or is he like Dr. Stranging it in fucking Infinity War when he's sitting there and viewing every possible outcome?
1: Yes, this is a, a reasonable question. And if you want the answers to those questions, watch another fucking movie. Not this one, because this movie does not care what questions you have in fact it is openly hostile to questions how dare you even ask them
2: either either way oh god damn it chris,
1: chris runs through a number of opening lines that fail in fact the only in he gets is after some weird x uh, we are led to assume uh comes in and starts harassing liz says he's gone to a bunch of places looking for he just wants to talk to her also just just uh, ham-fisted play here in general and so of course Chris starts running through scenarios where he saves her like a damsel in distress and most of those fail the only one that's kind of funny is he does this like superhero like dodge every punch the guy's throwing while not paying attention to him at all and at one point he like puts him in an arm bar like over the table and does a little magician shit where he makes it look like a fistful of quarters is falling out of his nose that's fucking funny that that, that would have probably worked on me but it doesn't work doesn't on work on Biel. me. so he settles on the only opening that works which is letting this guy deck him in the face and then Liz probably through embarrassment actually speaks with him for you know a couple of minutes but still
2: uses the cringiest pickup line i've ever heard which is the ex-boyfriend asks who do you think you are and nick cage
1: says i'm her future oh so there was actually dialogue Mm -hmm. in that scene all i heard was a high-pitched whining just sort of droning out all other sounds while that was going on Huh.
2: Yeah, really kicked up your tinnitus. Yeah,
1: I'm going to have to keep subtitles on in the future. So, now that Chris has finally managed to land an opening with Liz, Liz actually offers Chris a ride to where he's going, which is, no, he's just fucking lying. Yeah, no, he's not going there. He's
2: just lying. He knows that she has to go to Flagstaff, so he just says like, oh, I have to go pick up my car from Flagstaff because it was stolen or something. So... She's like, Oh, I'm going to Flagstaff, but the first time you're a fucking weirdo, I'm kicking you out of the car.
1: Also, she puts she it it's it's funny because a more clever movie would have pinned in on this a little bit more where it's like, I really don't want to do this. Like I didn't expect him to say yes. I feel strangely obligated to this person I've never met before because he got hit in the face because of my personal stuff so she puts a caveat on the ride where it's like I have to stop somewhere for several hours uh, before we get there and Chris is all like yeah that's fine she's like fuck (laughs) like you're supposed to say no at that point like find another more direct route there but they get in the car and Nick Cage again there's nothing really wrong with his acting. He's playing it a little bit goober. It feels written a little bit goober. But he has a conversation with Liz about destiny as a concept. And she's like, you're starting to sound a little bit like a creep. Fair. Does, doesn't does matter. Nothing matters. Um, <laughs> the FBI is continuing to try and track Chris. They go to the diner where he's been coming twice a day to have a martini before leaving for like two weeks and the FBI ask the first competent question, which is, uh, isn't that suspicious? Like, isn't that fucking bizarre, crazy person behavior? And of course, the diner staff says something equally competent back, which is like, fucking no, man. We got a guy who counts as cornflakes. Like, have you ever worked in a diner? Have you ever worked a real job in a diner where you can't tell the customer that they're being crazy because, you know, your boss will fire you if you do It's like, no, man, people come in here and do weird shit all the time. That's that's what a diner is. Um, It's
2: a place where teenagers get coffee and play chess and do Coke in the bathroom. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you not from New Jersey?
1: No, I mean, to be fair, the adults kind of do that too. (laughs) So, you know, where else are you going to go? Fucking Denny's have some self-respect. No offense, Denny's sponsor us. That's
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'll fuck up a grand slam.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, So the FBI is talking about getting camera footage. Julianne Moore is informed that the security guard that they spoke to previously has been murdered. She's like, I want to know if anything like this happens, you know, again. And and by the way, though,
2: Julianne Moore's performance in this. So imagine the charisma of a cardboard cutout. Now, take away like three charisma points as if we're playing D&D. That is the amount of effort that she is putting into this. She is doing this movie solely because they probably paid her a lot of money.
1: I mean, to be fair, because, because Julian Moore is a good actress. She's so good. She I'll is that awful in this. Uh, I would say if you, handed just uh, the the, whoever you think the best in the business is in in the Hollywood game a script where it's like you're an FBI agent who's chasing magicians and see two minutes in the future to stop the detonation of a stolen nuclear bomb and you're like that doesn't make sense and they're like fuck you we're not rewriting anything you're like all right what's the paycheck again yeah fine all right I'm gonna phone it in that's
2: yeah that's that's what she's doing
1: I don't give a shit it's fine
2: Jessica Biel the only person out here given a semblance of a fuck
1: yeah so at this point we cut back to the terrorist guys why you may ask oh just to set up a plot point that they never addressed they never addressed in the course of the film the the, the terrorist folks talk about how they're looking for Chris they know he can see the future and the guy who hired them to put this whole scheme together over a period of something like two years or something like that, thinks that Chris can screw up their whole terror plan, so they have to kill Chris.
2: Yeah, because you need villains and you need them to not be American.
1: Also, I hope you enjoyed that introduction to that subplot because that is the beginning and end of that subplot. Uh, That's it. We don't know who... We never find out who hired these people, how they know about Chris, why the terrorists are fucking French... With a with a Russian nuke,
2: I, there's there's a lot in this movie. This movie doesn't even have a fucking ending.
1: No, nope. It just has a big middle finger before the credits roll. It's kind of amazing. But let's keep clawing our way
2: let's across
1: broken glass towards that ending. We've been
2: talking about this movie for fifty five minutes. Let's just keep. Let's keep going for another 10 and then take a sanity break.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it turns out Liz teaches indigenous kids English. I think, I think English is what she teaches. And that's where they need to stop. And, and Chris does a little bit of his, his magic to impress the kids. The first appropriate audience for his magic, where he turns a rock into a lizard.
2: Which, by the way, means he had to steal a lizard and then palm it. Probably not great for the lizard.
1: Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm not going to get too into it. If you, th- oh, this I'm going to get into it. This isn't a discussion on the ethics of close-up magicians using live animals and whether or not that's a good thing. But regardless, the FBI is still on their trail. That's literally all I wrote. There's there, We definitely got a scene where the FBI is like, oh, we got a picture of them or something. They're headed this way. Whatever. Liz and Chris are back in the car driving in the rain at night. Liz is letting Chris drive while she sleeps and falls like falls asleep, like on his shoulder. But it turns out the road that they're driving on is flooded. So they have to turn around and go to some motel. He didn't see uh, that in the fucking future to. Well, I I think he did. I think he did explicitly because that that means they have to get a room at this motel.
2: Oh, yeah, this is where the movie gets very uh, not great.
1: So they get a room and Chris is like, you take the room and I'll sleep in the car. Now, I don't know how many times you had to go through the future where it made sense for these two adults who assume, presumably have adult money. We know Chris has fucking cash. Don't get two fucking rooms. At this motel as they're both stranded adults. But no, Chris goes to sleep in the car and Liz seems at least somewhat intrigued by his chivalry, not not trying to say any weird lines or or sleep on the couch or something like that, which, again, we don't know. We're not privy to how many times he tried that in his head and got shot down uh, before he settled on the sleep in the car path. So the FBI is getting closer to closing in on Chris they also have information that the missing nuke is somewhere in LA. This is explained sort of like, I don't know, like video game logic. Like we have a radiation detector thing and it was, you know, it's, it's somewhere in LA, but that's all we know. We know for a fact it's in LA though. So
2: yeah. I, it's
1: uh, who, Let's just keep going. Yeah. Who cares? The movie does <laughs> not care about your fucking questions. So just hold them uh, until the end where we will still not take questions. <laughs> so, so for whatever reason, with with the nuke now being confirmed on American soil, Julianne Moore somehow convinces her boss who's like, "You don't understand. We got to get the fucking magician who can see two minutes into the future. That is the only way to deal with this international terror incident." And the boss, I guess, says, "Fine."
2: Which, so, like, by the way, just quickly, if we knew that nine eleven was going to happen two minutes later.
1: What the fuck could we have done? Nothing changes. <laughs> Nothing changes. 9 11 still happens. If you had two, I, again, I don't understand why the FBI th- thinks this is a worthwhile strategy at all. If anything, if anything, the Secret Service might be interested in this person. Put them next to the fucking president when they're giving speeches. Great. <laughs> now we have some actionable intel. A bomb going? A terror plot? Like, no. You've got nothing. Two minutes gives you a the, a chance to move one person out of the path of a fucking bullet. That's it. A bomb, you're not... Two minutes is not an evacuation time. It's not an evacuation time. It's not enough time to disarm something. Have you seen uh, uh, bomb squads work? <laughs> if they found a bomb it and like, it's got two minutes on it, it's like, alright, let's all leave just us and we'll live and this bomb is gonna go off and we'll deal with the the aftermath after that it it, nonsense shit and the fbi signs on to it i i I don't know if i was the fbi i'd be kind of pissed about this movie like we're not that stupid that's (laughs) we're way less stupid than that
2: i don't know i mean like y'all got fucked up by some rice farmers in vietnam so
1: I don't think that was the
2: FBI specifically. <laughs> you shut up. You shut up. This movie has rotted my brain.
1: It's yeah, it's 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 fun. I get it, man. I, I I sympathize strongly. But to top it all off, so the FBI rolls out heavy to get Chris. And of course, the French fucking terrorists are follow- are watching them. So they decide to all have a French terrorist FBI party around where Chris and Liz are staying in this fucking cabin. So it's the next morning. Chris is in like the kitchenette area of Oh this yeah. Hotel by room.
2: by the way, like she feels bad and then they totally like have sex.
1: Well, all right. So no, hold on. Let's let's go through the steps here, right? Chris slept in the car. They met yesterday morning. This is 24 hours later, roughly. Chris has slept in the car. He came in. He is sitting down at the kitchenette liz has taken a shower and then for fucking no discernible reason at all decides to come out of the bathroom which is enclosed into the kitchen in just a fucking towel fresh out of the shower where chris does a magic trick where he does like some flash paper and then there's a rose after the the paper burns away and then they kiss and then they fuck and listener we've gone into very briefly about relationships sometimes I'm just going to underscore this several times for you. This will never work. Do not do a magic trick for a woman you met 24 hours ago and expect it to end in sex. More likely, it will end in pepper spray.
2: There are so many other things that you can do. Respect goes a long way. Treating somebody like a human. Don't be weird. Don't do weird shit.
1: A magic trick that... that. uh, under these circumstances, a magic trick is weird. It counts as weird, even if you're really good at it. Save it, make it a party trick. Make it no big deal. No, but no.
2: Ma- magic is the thing you do like on the third date. Like once you're already vibing, you know, there's a good vibe. It's like I like this person. This person likes me. Then be like, oh hey, by the way, like I know like some close-up magic. Bam.
1: Wait until all right. So I'm 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 gonna confess something. I dabbled and still retain a minimal amount of close-up magic skills from a misspent youth. And I can tell you, once you are drinking age or over, magic tricks done in a sober environment for people your own age are weird. If you can pull off a magic trick when people are five or six cups deep, including yourself, it's a fun party trick. It is never a drop the towel moment.
2: Oh, yeah. By the way, when I'm saying on the third date, I'm assuming that like everybody is consenting adults and there's alcohol involved.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I, again, I we. this is a shitty part of the movie, but it, it it is a sea of excrement that we are mining here, folks. So let's not get too, too hung up on it. But magic trick, kiss, and then they have sex. And also. By the way, like another corny, just stupid, fucking nonsense bit of dialogue after he does a magic trick and they get close, he's like, "That was amazing." And she's like, "What was?" And he's like, "This, and leans in for the kiss. Like, dude, stop doing your creepy future magic to fuck women.
2: <laughs> how many I I, at this point <laughs> I, like I almost want to say like, how many victims does this man have?
1: Throw, all right, look. I'm not a big fan of the term gaslighting. When I was growing up, we just called it lying and manipulating people. Gaslighting is probably the appropriate term for somebody who can run through every conceivable scenario until they take the appropriate action to get you to do what they want. This is the only circumstance in which that term should ever be applied. Otherwise, it's lying, and manipulative people. People have been doing that forever. Stop making up new words. I'm not buying anymore. OK, I'm going to stick with the ones that we have already. OK, we have words at home that work for this.
2: <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like a words, your words at home meme. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so anyway. Uh, This is all played off as it's supposed to not seem bizarre beyond imagining to the viewer, even with a billion chances to act exactly the right way. This set of events makes no fucking sense. Uh, I'm not even trying to clown on Nick Cage. I think he's a good looking guy. But the juxtaposition between him and Jessica Biel I didn't even look into the age differences at this time. There is definitely I'm going to a difference. It,
2: there is a gap.
1: But yeah, you don't you you don't fuck the weird older guy who is a magician, a literal magician. Twenty four hours later. You don't do that. That doesn't happen. That's not safe.
2: 18 that's how years, be-
1: eight, by the way. 18 years, 18 years. that's how women go missing. Don't do this. It doesn't happen, so you don't even have to worry about it. But still, Jesus. And anyway, after we're treated to that, we have a moment where they're lying together in bed post-coitus with Nick Cage laying on his back and and Jessica Biel sort of on his chest. And we're going to stop here because I need to go scream into a pillow. Before we get to the rest of this stuff, follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at cagefight underscore pod.
2: I'm too angry to give out the Patreon, so just fucking Look find it.
1: Look it <laughs> <laughs> Look two minutes into the fucking future where you're sitting at your computer and opening up Google. You'll figure it out. It'll be fine.
2: Patreon.com slash Nick Cage There's some shit up there. You can read. You don't need me telling you every single time.
1: Yeah, come back for the next I'm sorry episode. for being
2: so aggressive.
1: <laughs> come- Come back
2: for the Don't next give me money
1: episode where we continue to scream about this film. A little bit of a, a spoiler alert or a hint for you. We're stopping here very much on purpose to add some level of poetic synchronicity to the review at least. Since the movie doesn't give a shit about lending any of that to the actual story. As always listening, thank you for showing up. We appreciate it.
2: I'm you <laughs>